thank you for listening to this episode of The Connected CEO with Tom Cardella, where we're connecting you to the greater entrepreneurial community at large. To learn more about Tom, visit theconnectedceo.com and follow him on all of his social media outlets. We'll see you on the next episode. So Tom, you know, excited to be back here and, and talking a little bit about 2020 and what's going on. And we know we just came off the holidays and you visited all the sites, you celebrated the, the holidays with them and with your team. Why are the site visits so important for you though? Well, I, I think it's important to get out and, you know, thank the individuals for the great job they did over the past year. Uh, as you might recall, we, um, we did pay everybody in the company a holiday bonus uh, and an increase over what we paid last year for all of our frontline folks. So, uh, you know, but, but again, I think you, ha- you have to get out there. You have to have that personal interaction. You can walk into a call center and immediately feel the vibe of the center uh, within just a few minutes. And, you know, there's times that you can, you can walk into a center and the vibe, it's just there. You can, you can sense the enthusiasm and, and things of that nature. And there's other times you walk into a call center and things just seem a little off. And so I think that, you know, I think that by being in the centers, you, you get a sense of what's really taking place. You know, there's an old, uh, uh, an old saying, uh, management by walking around. And I subscribe to that notion 100%. And I ask my team to do the same. Oh, I love that. And one of the things that, that I noticed you did was you, you were very transparent about them talking about, you know, like you said, what, what's the culture of the center? What's going on? Uh, what are the things where, where everybody was doing well and, and where you saw growth opportunities? But then you were also um, wanted feedback from the employees. Like what, what stands out the most when you're getting that feedback? Like I was fascinated about uh, a, how open everybody was, but then, you know, the, it's always, like you said, from that front line, what, what stands out most, or maybe what's one particular story where you got feedback from one of those sessions where you were able to implement, implement something that had an impact on your business right away. Yeah. You know, we want honest feedback from our folks all the time, uh, whether it's through face-to-face interactions or, someone sending me an email or calling me on the phone. Uh, and, you know, we certainly want to hear the good stories, but we know that running a people business is a very difficult thing to do. And so we also want to know when maybe we're just not getting the job done, we're not meeting the expectations of the people on the front lines. And that, that can be for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe we've made a mistake. Maybe we have a, a supervisor that's not in tune with the philosophies and the culture that we'd like to have displayed as a company. Uh, but the thing that, that always sticks out to me when I'm doing a floor meeting is the sense of camaraderie in the center. And I think we saw that displayed in our visit to Alamogordo, New Mexico, when, you know, we found that uh, one, of our, uh, one of our older individuals in the center is literally preparing, going out of her way to prepare bags for those that are expecting, that are expecting children. She's, she's, knitting them stuff and, and creating these bags, personalized bags with the sonograms and, and things of that nature. And and few people commented that TLC was their family. And there's a lot of truth to that in many respects. So, we, you know, we have individuals in the company that don't have family any longer or don't ha- even have family nearby. And there's always this display of other individuals going out of their way to help to help each other. And, and I think that's, that's a huge cornerstone of our company. And I think it's primarily due to the fact that we are located 
in communities where you know we're a major employer. This job is how people pay their bills and feed their families. And there is a true sense of community because people are are with us and with each other year after year. Yeah, and and it was really uh it, it was a neat moment to see that. I remember that that conversation, Alan McGordo, and and it was, you know, you could tell that there was a sense of community there and a sense of family. And obviously that comes, I I think, like you said, from the culture you're setting from the top and then everybody involved and, and being a part of the communities. You know, but a lot of that stuff, it's it's hard to interview for that, right? Like you can't say, hey, like, you know, will you, will you knit blankets for everyone who's pregnant? Or, or you know, what, what do you do to, to make yourself be a part of the community? How do you identify? And I, and I think this is something a lot of entrepreneurs, when they come in new, they never had to hire somebody. They don't know how to interview. How do you identify good talent and people that, you know, are going to be team players and maybe just to, you only get a few interviews, whether it's like on a high executive level or, you know, even at the employee level, how do you identify good talent and how do you know who you're going to bring on your team? In the centers, uh, we look towards referrals, meaning that if we feel that we've employed, you know, really strong, passionate individuals, then we ask them to refer their friends, believing that, you know, if you're that type of individual, you're going to associate with other individuals like that. That's the one way we do it in the centers. Uh, we don't always do a good job of it. You know, there's always a tendency, I think, uh, I think a natural tendency, that if you've had a little bit higher attrition than you anticipated and now you need to get a training class filled, you know, sometimes I believe that, you know, the, the individuals that do the hiring, you know, they may decide to put a person or two into a training class that maybe we otherwise wouldn't hire. And that can come back and, you know, really bite you in the butt in the future if you have individuals that, you know, have a positive outlook on life and things of that nature. You know, as an executive, I'd say that my ability to hire good individuals, I, I bat maybe 500, you know, and, and the reason why is, is pretty simple. As in any entrepreneurial company, you're going to want to bring in people with an entrepreneurial spirit. And in an entrepreneurial company, many times either, you know, you don't give direction, you don't manage people. You say, okay, here's where we need to go. And I need you to figure out how, how you're going to get your piece of the company to that point. People that come from larger companies with lots of resources and many layers within a company, have a really, really difficult time comprehending that approach and adapting to be able to execute in that type of environment if, if they've come from a larger company. Now, that being said, that's not always true, right? It's not always the rule of thumb. We recently hired an individual, not recently, it's been a while now, from eBay, uh, and he's, you know, he's doing an amazing job for us and now heading up our operation. Conversely speaking, a few years ago, uh, we hired an individual from a well-known college testing uh, corporation to head up our training department. And she, she just couldn't pick the ball up and run with it uh, because she came out of a large company, but we had to every step of the way, tell her what to do. And she was the head of the department. So, you know, I, I'd answer that, that question in a couple of different ways. Yeah, no. And, and it makes sense. And I think it's, it's good to hear that in a lot of ways. Cause I think that's a struggle for a lot of entrepreneurs and they feel like, well, no, I should be able to find the right formula for hiring and, and, and even firing and knowing when to let people go. But I don't think there is any right formula that, that you can have when it comes to that. It is, 
and, and I think you made the great point of a lot of trial and error. Was that difficult though to to accept at some point? Did did you ever feel that way? Like it like there's got to be a right way to or wrong way to do this? Yeah, you know, um, it's a good question. I, I don't I don't know if I have that recollection. And the reason that I don't have that recollection is that the key executive management team around me, if you will, um, you know, most of us have been together, some of us going on 25 years now. And so I haven't had to fill uh, a position that reported directly to me in at least 10 years. You know, so uh, I mean, there there were some times where I've hired individuals and, and as we expanded into the, into the Southwest part of the United States, you know, and after a while, we, we both determined it really wasn't a good fit, but yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. So then, you know, and you mentioned your team and the people around you, you guys have been around for a while, then, then how do you know what things you're going to delegate um, and what things you can keep close? You know, I think a lot of people hear leadership and they think you're just kind of like, you know, yes, no, yes, no to, to everything, but don't really understand that there's some things you still keep close and there's some things you delegate. How do you know which, which one to do and how to balance that? I think a lot of it has to do with the size of the organization. So, you know, many individuals that start a company, when the company's small, they want to make every decision and they can, right? And, and that's pretty typical. But at some point, if a company's going to grow and thrive, you have to do two things. The first thing you must do is hire individuals that are stronger than you and other aspects of the company that you don't understand. So as an example, I don't understand information technology. I don't understand finance. And when I say I don't understand it, that, that's not my discipline. So I have to have people in those departments that um, really understand information technology and security systems, things of that nature. And in finance, you know, everything from payroll to, you know, accounts payable, billing, and, and, and all the other things that, that come along in the role of finance. And so I 100% count on those individuals just to handle those roles. And if they ever come across an issue, um, you know, just to let me know what the issue is and say, Here, here's the issue. Um, here's what we're going to do to try and, and alleviate this issue. And, and that's all I really need. You know, when it comes to the things that I, that I do understand that I'm really passionate about, um, you know, client involvement, the execution of an operation, you know, in our, in our sites, I delegate that uh, to the people that, that can, you know, that can implement the change or, or drive the results. But on a daily basis, I'm every day, I'm on a phone with all a phone call with all those in, individuals on a conference call in the morning. So I'm brought up to date and I'm immediately informed of, of things that are going really well or any potential issues that we may see on the horizon. And so while I'm delegating all those things, the, the client aspect and the aspect of generating revenue and controlling expense, right, the, on the variable expense mm-hmm. side, because uh, that can get away from you really quick. Those are things that I, that I want to keep an eye on every single day. And we also go by, you know, we have a, a kind of a saying, no surprises, and which means that if, if there's something looming out there or if we have made a mistake, um, Tom needs to be brought into the loop immediately so that we can, um, you know, have the conversation. What are we doing about it? Um, have we informed the client? Um, have we put the necessary steps in place to ensure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again in the future? So that, that's kind of that's kind of how I look at things like that. That's, that's great. And I know, um, you know, obviously you guys have done a great job. And, and, and now moving into 2020, everyone's been very reflective of, 
you know, where we were the last 10 years, what's happened. And now everybody gets into prediction mode, you know, um, <laughs> yep. what are we going to see? And I, and I think if, if the, the previous 10 years taught us anything, it's that we don't know what's going to happen year to year. Um, so I'm not going to ask you about the next decade, but, but what trends do you see coming uh, in your industry and particularly in 2020 with, uh, you know, customer service and what you guys are doing and, and uh, the outreach, what trends do you guys see that are going to either change or disrupt the market or, or maybe just stay consistent, you know, th that need to be adapted? You know, many years ago, when I went to start my first company, I was presenting my business plan to a group of bankers. So we're talking, you know, 25 years ago now. And I was told that the call center environment will cease to exist because there is this thing called the internet that was going to explode and, and take over and there would be no further need for human interaction. Well, that obviously is not the case and it will never be the case, especially when you're talking about the complexities that some of our clients have, you know, whether it's uh, mechanical or, or automation or, or technology, things of that nature. So there will always be a need for human interaction, you know, person to person, just answering people's calls and, and getting them the information they need. The internet has played a role, right? You can look for information online and that has, and clients will always attempt to reduce their call volume if they can by providing customers other avenues in which to gain their information. So I think we're going to continue to see that. You know, the economy's continuing to chug along really well. And so I think it's, it's business as usual as we go through this year. You know, the unknown will be the election and how the election potentially impacts the, the environment of business. You know, and then also what will, the, what will the Fed do when it goes to, you know, looking at interest rates throughout this year? Uh, all those things, you know, uh, in a typical business environment, the external things will always have an impact on how you're running things internally. And so you have to be nimble as those things evolve. But I think right now we're, we're pretty much business as usual as I look into the foreseeable future. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Connected CEO with Tom Cardella, where we're connecting you to the greater entrepreneurial community at large. To learn more about Tom, visit theconnectedceo.com and follow him on all of his social media outlets. We'll see you on the next episode.